do you know how your team members would describe the culture of your team? And do you know how even to design a team culture? What to be on the lookout for and how to ensure that the team that you're building and leading develops a healthy and strong culture. Also, have you thought about how maybe a hybrid or even a remote setup is changing or has changed your team culture? If you're leading a team, then these are questions you should be thinking about. And for that specific reason, I've invited Gustavo Rossetti, the CEO and founder of Fearless Culture, to this episode of the Manager Track podcast. Gustavo is a culture design consultant that helps teams do the best work of their lives. For more than 20 years, Gustavo has helped leaders from Fortune 500s, startups, nonprofits, and everything in between on every continent but Antarctica. He's the creator of the Culture Design Canvas, a framework used by thousands of teams and organizations across the world to map, assess, and design their cultures. He's also a prolific writer and author of four books on culture change, including his most recent book called Remote Not Distant. And Gustavo's insights have been featured in the New York Times, Psychology Today, Forbes, BBC, and Fortune, among others. As you can tell, he is a great person to talk to about culture, and so I'm thrilled to have him on and to share very tactical insights and tips for leaders across the ranks to implement and go do today. If culture seems like a very vague, intangible word and you feel like, ugh, don't really know what to do with that, then let us prove you otherwise. Gustavo is sharing very tactical tips, frameworks, and steps you can take and implement right after you finish listening to this episode. So let's get into it. Uh, here is Gustavo. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role, build the confidence and competence to lead your team successfully, and establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization? That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress and dread, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders who know how to lead so everyone wins and grows. In this show, you learn how to think, communicate, and act as the confident and competent leader you know you can be. Gustavo, it's so great to have you on the Manager Track podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Ramona. I'm looking forward to talking to you and also share our conversation with your audience. Thank you. Yeah, same here. Um, this is really interesting because as we were just talking off the record, I was saying, you know, culture in itself, I do a lot of work around leadership and a bit of this is about team culture, but culture in itself is such a big word and encompasses so many different things. I would even say people have very different definitions of what even a culture, a corporate culture is and isn't. Um, but before we dive into all of that and get really tactical in how people and leaders specifically can create team cultures, tell us a little bit about your background and what you currently do and the focus of your work and what got you here. Fantastic. Yeah, basically, I self-define as a culture designer. So I run a firm called Fearless Culture. I'm the mm -hmm. CEO. And with my team, we help teams and organizations design more intentionally their culture, try to understand what's the current culture, what are the gaps, and what they want to take their culture moving forward. And lately on, we've been specializing more into this hybrid uh, environment how to adapt their culture to a new reality of work. And actually, I just published a book, Remote Not Distant, that presents the framework that we use with our clients to design culture and specifically how it pertains to a hybrid uh, world. 
Sweet. Yeah. This definitely work that we all need and things we need to consider mm. these days. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the hybrid work as well later in the conversation. But as we're thinking about culture and love the word, I'm a cultural designer. So cool. <laughs> what are some of the tangible things? Let's assume that you go into an organization and you speak with someone who's leading a team and you're asking them specific questions. What are some of the tangible things that you're looking for or intangibles that you're trying to pick up that makes up a team culture? When it comes to the designing the culture, like anything in, in service design, a user experience design, first you need to talk to the users. Mm -hmm. So our process, it's not just working with leaders, but involves the organization. We want to understand how people see the culture through their lens, through mm -hmm. their day-to-day -day experiences, and then uncover what are the gaps, what's working, what's not working. So it's not a culture design, it's not a top-down process, it's a co-creation process mm -hmm. that involves leaders, managers, and employees alike. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we do is that we want to understand where's the culture today, what's working, what's not working before we can jump into designing the future. And, yeah. and that entangles like doing a different mapping sessions with different team members to try to unpack the culture. What's the company values, the purpose, the behaviors, what's rewarded, what gets punished. Yeah. How do we give feedback? Do we have a safe culture? Do we feel safe to express our ideas or opinions? Or are we afraid of being punished? Uh, once again, we're not mapping the uh, official culture, what's written on a PowerPoint on the website, but we're trying to understand what's the real culture. culture. Yeah. So a question that um, I think I've heard before and I've tried before with uh, trying to get to this is, actually two processes. One that I've gone through as part of an organization where we had to tell stories about our values to get to the, the value and how we see that. And then it was tied into the, the current company and how we see these things come to or being valued or not valued. Mm -hmm. uh, another specific question that, that um, comes to mind is what would you tell a friend are the things that make people successful in this organization? Like, what are the specific behaviors that you do inside this organization to be successful? And how would you explain this to someone who's not in the organization, to an outside person, like a friend? Uh, so, but I'm curious to hear from your perspective and point of view, when someone listening who is a team leader and says, okay, interesting, I actually don't know what the culture is on my team. What could they do or ask to uncover some of these things? Absolutely. There are many questions. One could be like, uh, how do people behave when no one is watching? You know? So mm, when the manager is not in the room, what do people do? Yeah. Like another question that's really important and connects to one that you shared is what will get you promoted or hired and will get you fired in a company? Yeah. So that's very understanding the extremes. Sometimes people say, no, nothing's going to get you fired here because we're a culture that no one cares and everything's allowed. So that's a sign of a toxic culture. Um, another thing that we talk about is how do we make decisions as a team? And usually I like to ask these questions to individuals and then compare notes because that's one of the biggest gaps that organizations are not aligned in how they make decisions. And if you don't have a clear method on making decisions, you're never going to make good ones. Mm, so can you give some examples? Yeah. Can you give some examples? 
like people say, no, the manager is the one who makes the final call. People say, no, we vote. And people say, yeah, everyone's opinion matters. And someone says, no, but in the end, our leader is going to do whatever they want. So it's a, those kind of gaps basically brings the tension. People feel like uh, I'm uh, empowered and I'm accountable for hiring people, but then my boss makes the final decision. So those kind of tensions define the culture. Sometimes in the good direction, many times, unfortunately, in the wrong one. Oh my gosh, I could I could list that so many <laughs> personal experiences where there was a disconnect. Yeah, on the decision making uh, front. So good. When um when you go in, I get that people are probably a lot more open and transparent, share with you what they really feel because you're an outside person and somewhat objective consultant coming in working on culture. But if a leader does that, what does this look like? How can a leader explore this? with their team members and actually get to the truth? Yeah, I think that, uh, first of all, the leader needs to model vulnerability so people can feel open. So I think that there are many ways to tackle that. I remember an example in which when Steve Jobs became the CEO at Pixar, he liked, you know, like usually he liked to uh, do town halls and share his vision and blah, blah. And at the end of all of his impressive talks, he asked people, hey, any questions, any feedback? And, and the only thing he heard was crickets. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. no one was talking. So at some point he realized he needed to change the, the approach and he started asking what's working at Pixar, what's not working? Mm -hmm. By opening the conversation, he gave people the opportunity to acknowledge that he knew that some things weren't perfect, so let's share, but also by asking what's working, it also helps people see that it's not black or white, every company has good things and bad things, let's address both and unpack both, so I think that was an interesting thing. Another question and practice with leaders is asking their teams, what would you ask the next leader, you now let's say tomorrow I leave the company, what would you ask the new CEO, the new team leader to do? What would the first thing you want them to fix? So it's another way to remove them from the equation because uh, people don't want to talk about the issues because they feel that leaders, and actually many times they do, they take things personal. Mm -hmm. So the leader needs to remove themselves from the equation and say, hey, what would you do? Like uh, if I, another question I ask people when I meet them for the first time, if you're giving all the freedom and authority in the company, what's the only, the most important thing that you would like to fix or change? No? Mm -hmm. So those things get people thinking into the issues that are bothering every day. Google, for example, now the, the CEO send a questionnaire to employees and they ask them, what's getting in the way? What's the bump that's getting in the way that you would like us to as leaders to remove from you? So that's mm -hmm. part of culture. It's not intentional. Sometimes there are, speed bumps that we need to let go, remove, so the team can move in the right direction and move faster. The question that comes up for me here is, I guess the it's up to the team to decide, do they want to do this on an anonymous basis with a survey, or if they are actually having conversations one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting, or is there a best practice to this? Great question. I think the best practice is to train and teach people to address issues as a team. Of course, in certain companies, anonymous things still work. But the point is, when you ask someone to be anonymous, first you encourage people to focus on the negative because usually, because I'm not going to be accountable for what I say, I can throw all the issues, no? I'm not, use, mm -hmm. uh, not to swear. 
And also you are reinforcing the notion that a team is not safe. You know, when I say, oh, this is gonna be anonymous, the message that we're sending, this team is not safe. So we need to train people to start speaking up and it takes time. So a mm -hmm. first approach could be that the team addresses the issues and then they collect the three or four most important topics and they share with the manager. So it's not necessarily mm -hmm. anonymous because each of the team members were able to talk to each other but then mm -hmm. in front of the, the team, uh, he or she doesn't know who said what. We use a tool that's called the Uncover the Stinky Fish. And basically it's an interesting metaphor because the issues that we don't talk about, they start to rot, they start to smell, and then they contaminate everything that around, no? milk, yeah. butter, eggs, etc. So it's a, way, a nice way to tell people that the early that you address issue, the easier it becomes, but also it's not going to be such a problem. Yeah. And when we do that, there's another way that we do to debrief them that we pair people. So, for example, two team members, they complete their stinky fish, then they talk to each other and they consolidate the key findings. Yeah. And we merge two teams of two and then they do that. So then they have like four or five different teams that each of them shares with a broader uh, group. What are the key tensions that they want to address? So it's not necessarily confidential because people knew, but you're building that trust, you know, because yeah. you start with small groups and then with the larger one. Oh my gosh, I love this. So it's just a roll up um, of, of feedback. And like mm -hmm. you said, it does enforce the, the message, this is safe um, and we want to collaborate and solve together through communication, which we're already building into the process. Absolutely. And, and that's based on a, a technique called one to four all from liberating structures from a book. Mm -hmm. And the point is that people feel safer in smaller groups. So yeah. when you start talking within a duo with just one person, you're going to be more open. But then when they merge into a team of four, they'll recross that line. So you're building that trust little by little. Interesting. So this is an approach that team members could use and actually do, you know, right away and start if there is a question or, or there are concerns around culture that they could set up a process or a framework where these conversations can take place and then roll up and have that mm -hmm. presented and then actually tackling it and trying to resolve the cultural issues. I want to talk about how to resolve cultural issues as well. Mm -hmm. But before we do, what would someone do who is inheriting a new team, a brand new team, or actually is hiring and building a team, what do they need to pay attention to to make sure that they're building a strong culture from the get-go? Fantastic question. First thing, before doing anything, they need to understand the existing culture. So every team has a culture. It could be written, it could be explicit, or it could be underlying. Mm -hmm. But as a team member, you need to talk individually and collectively to understand what works here? How do we behave? What are the things that we value? How do we make decisions? How do we prioritize work? What are the shared norms in terms of how we collaborate? How do we, do we have written norms in terms of communication? For example, do we expect people to respond to an email within three days or within the 10 minutes after they receive it? What are the <laughs> yeah. desired methods to communicate? No one yeah. in Slack, chat, et cetera. So before trying to impose, your preferred culture, try to understand what's the culture of the team. I think it's important that team leaders, if you inherit a team, that you also clarify, this is how I like to work, this is yeah. how you work, and then let's try to find a common ground. If yeah. you try to impose your way of working, people are going to resist, mm -hmm. but you shouldn't also 
take the existing culture for granted because you're put in charge of the team to evolve it. I always like to talk about culture evolution rather mm-hmm. than change. Change feels from the past is gone, it's a new thing versus how can we evolve? Yeah. What are the things that the team is doing that I want to keep? What are the things that we want to remove? What are the things that we want to improve? Yeah. Okay, so and are you saying if I hired a person and then in a month or two, I'm going to hire my second person and so slowly I'm building my team, even though we don't yet have an existing team of five, right, where there is an existing team culture, but every person that's slowly joining or gradually joining over time, they're bringing their own norms to the workplace or to my team. And there from, from the beginning, there is some there are some unwritten rules there that I need to start exploring early on with, with my first direct report. Did Absolutely. I get that right? Yeah. Yes. And the sooner the better. The point is like, uh, for example, in startups, many don't care what culture is going to happen, whatever. It depends on the founders or the team member. Mm-hmm. But then when they start growing and they bring people from other organizations, maybe people from corporate, what happens is those people try to impose what worked for them in a different scenario into the new team. And that's where Mm -hmm. they create a culture clash that everyone wants to do things differently. And that's where the team goes south. So it's important to clarify what's the expected behaviors, how we make decisions, how we give feedback, how we build psychological safety. And of course, when you bring new people, you might improve. Maybe they bring some practices that are gonna be uh, better for the team and we can adapt those, but we don't want the new member to try to impose their way of thinking. Yeah, so good. I actually just read a book, um, The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And he talks about uh, a situation where he had to clarify whether or not his company is using uh, foul language, right? Whether it was okay to curse. And he he said, like, I was the main offender, but it started to bubble up as it being an issue. But the issue was that... uh, Yes, he was doing it. And then they were hiring, like you said, from competing companies where cursing was okay. And some people, though, didn't like that. And it was unclear of whether or not it was okay. And whether he would stand for, he as the CEO would stand for it or willing to be making an adjustment. And he decided that ultimately, no, it's okay for us to curse or use foul language because that's sort of the culture. And if we were to restrict that, it would be an issue with um, hiring from competing companies. And that's sort of the culture that we live in. So he decided, yes, we're going to allow it unless it's It's not harming anyone. Exactly. For as long as it's not hurtful or harmful to anyone else. And he said that once he clarified this, the whole thing became a non-issue because no what what he made a point and said this is okay and so everyone just rallied around it's like okay now this is okay as long as it's clarified and became a social norm whether people liked it or not the point he made was not talking about it and not clarifying what is okay or not okay created all the talk and all the frustrations on the team mm-hmm. but once it was clarified and it was written down no we tolerate this with these you know conditions it was a done deal, which I thought was very interesting. And it goes back to this importance of having these social norms and and writing them down and evolving them as you grow and expand as a team. Yeah, you have to codify your culture. So to yeah. using your example, it when you codify it, you may say, hey, it's okay to curse, but of course it's not okay, okay to curse to express your emotions. No, you're mm-hmm. saying you don't like something, whatever you're having a bad day, but probably it's not okay if you're attacking someone or harming one of your team members, you know, you're being, mm-hmm. you're insulting them. 
But then when you clarify, you stop that gossiping, that infight between the people that think that it's okay and people that think that it's not okay. And probably some people might decide, you know, you know what? I don't want to work in a company where cursing is uh, mm -hmm. everyday norm and they leave. But yep. then your culture becomes more clearer that everyone try to please everyone. Yeah, and you exactly. can check that. For example, when you're you mentioned recruiting, you're recruiting a new team member. Say, hey, heads up, this is how we work. We're always cursing. Are you okay with that? And people say, no, 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 I don't. I say, oh, perfect, I love it. So yeah, it helps you hire the right people. That's the yeah. most important thing about culture. As a caring and driven manager, I know you want to strengthen your leadership skills, advance your career, and lead a high-performing, engaged team. And in order to do that, as a leader, you need to lead with a system, not by shooting from your hips or reacting to everyone else around you. To do so, you need to first learn what should go into a leadership system and second, develop your own. Now, the good news is that I teach you one must-have part in your leadership system in a concise, actionable, and yet comprehensive course focused on running successful one-on-one -on -one meetings with your direct reports. It includes over 67 minutes of tactical leadership training, plus a set of resources to make this as easy and immediately applicable for you as possible. You can either watch the video lessons or listen to it through a private podcast feed on your phone. You can get your hands on this course, which I want every single manager to have, for a nominal $19 at ramonashaw.com slash one one. That's two times the number one. You can check the show notes for the details or head on over to ramonashaw.com slash one one to get started right now. Bring it back to something really tangible. And I do this in my programs as part of the program. We, we talk about the social norms because I think so much comes from the lack of understanding and clarity on what is expected and co-creating these social norms where the implicit expectations are made explicit and we're like you said codifying the culture can prevent so many issues down the road and like you said even in, it feeds into the hiring process as well so very tactical suggestion sounds like for every leader who's interested in designing the team culture is to have conversations around what are these norms in terms of email response, Slack response, right? Absences, what is okay and what is not okay? The language that we use, how do we run meetings? What are some other topics or themes that you would add here to the mix that leaders need to think about in terms of yeah. defining their norms or thinking about norms? We talk about feedback. Another thing that's important is priorities, mm -hmm. establishing what's more important than what. No, mm -hmm. usually companies are facing a conflicting tensions in terms of priorities, because on one hand we say, hey, we need to grow the business. Hey, we need to make more money. Hey, and there's that, okay, which one comes first? Shall we focus yeah. on sales? Shall we focus on cost efficiency or productivity? And I think it's important. That's part of the work we do with clients, defining our culture. What's more important, speed, even over perfection, or growth even over profitability, you cannot have it both, no? Mm -hmm. And when you make those clear um, prioritizations ahead of time, then it's easier for people to make decisions. Another element of culture that's really important is how we manage collaboration. We talk briefly about the shift to a hybrid workplace. Mm -hmm. So this requires that we focus on asynchronous work first. So rather than try to collaborate at the same time or even in the same place, 
it's we need to focus first on how people do their work on their own at their own time whatever it pleases them mm-hmm. and then interact with our team members so that's a huge shift that teams need also to discuss meetings should become like a last resort and not the default mode and today for many meetings for many teams meetings are still the way that they try to solve every problem and actually mm-hmm. they create more problems by having back to back meetings yeah yeah. And then I guess decision making, how do we make decisions? Feeds into like how do we collaborate is another point that we've talked about earlier. Love, love it. Yes. Okay. And very tactical thing to do. Now let's switch shift over uh and talk about hyper work environment. What are some of the things that you've learned when you wrote your book that you yeah. found interesting? I learned a lot writing the book, interviewing executives from different teams, from smaller teams to larger teams in across different regions. And the most important thing is that the leaders that are doing better are the leaders that realize that they don't know what to do. So basically, I say, you know what? Yeah. The world is dramatically changing rather than try to uh, uh, protect the way things used to be here and try to keep doing the things I used to. I need to explore. So okay. leaders are realizing that now they need to delegate more autonomy to teams to make decisions on how they want to work. In the past, it was a one-size-fits-all, nine to five, nine to six, no? and everyone has to abide by that same rule. Today, team leaders need to be self-aware and more open-minded and basically encourage people to see each team needs to choose the way of working that fits them best. You want to work mm-hmm. in the morning, you want to work at night, you want to work all together, you want to come to the office, you want to split how you work, that's up to them. In the end, what matters is, are you delivering great work or not? It's not mm-hmm. about presentism. It's not about how many emails you send, how much meetings you're having, how many hours you spend at work, but what's your outcome? And that's a huge shift because leaders need to focus on designing that environment, removing all the speed bumps, removing all the issues, and let the team run the conversation for the work. And that's a huge uh, shift. And so you're saying the people who, the leaders who do the best are those who recognize this is a huge shift and I don't yet know how to do this and we're figuring this out. Yeah, and requires experimentation. So there's no, it's not a single solution. Each team needs to design. One of the things I share in my book is a process or a framework that has five steps for teams to design their own hybrid model and start Mm -hmm. experimenting with different practices until they figure it out. Mm -hmm. So it's not copying what Apple or Google are doing that actually it's receiving a lot of backlash because people don't want to be told by their leaders how they need to manage their work. No, They show during the pandemic that they were able to adapt and work remotely and do great work. And actually many companies grew their business. So now that they have the ability to choose, they want freedom. And the interesting thing for leaders, regardless of the size of your team, if you're a leader, freedom comes with a, a lot of intentionality, a lot of a, a accountability. I always say that the success or the formula of success for a hybrid team is that you need to provide people flexibility, but also you need to be very intentional about how they do it. You know? so they need to require a lot of obsession about the details and the practice to balance one with the other. So for example, people can choose where they want to work from, at what time they want to work, but then we need to be intentional about defining what are the collaboration hours. So mm-hmm. for example, from 12, from noon to three, everyone's gonna be available for team calls or emails, whatever. We need to agree 
which things are we going to be doing synchronously, which one asynchronously. So mm -hmm. it requires a lot of intentionality in defining the practice, the obsession about how we document a decision making, you know, how we're going to write everything that we decide. So if someone's not available, we can go into that document and find all the information. So there's a lot of shifts that require. So it's not just freedom, like let's do whatever you want, but it's also this obsession to be more a, a detail about how and intentional about how we work. Mm -hmm. More disciplined. That would be the, the right word. Yeah, more disciplined. And then um tell us briefly about the pains and the gains that you talk about, because I love those and and sort of the making sure that we're focusing on the right things. Absolutely. I think that that's a good point, which every change, you know, you work with executive teams and people that are listening to a program, they know that every time they're trying to introduce something new. There's going to be progress, but also there's going to be some suffering, some some pain. And <laughs> yeah. some people focus on the game and say, hey, this is going to be great. And they don't address the other part. And some of us do the opposite. Yeah. With hybrid, what's happening is that employees are seeing the game. They're seeing the gain of flexibility, integrating personal life with a work life. They're seeing that they have more time to spend with their family. They're, they don't have to commute. They're spending less money committing to the office. So they feel, I mean, I'm more productive with less or uh, fewer meetings. Managers or leaders, especially at the senior level, they feel the pain. They say, hey, the culture is suffering. I don't see my team. Are they working? Are they slacking at home? What's going on? And also it's complicated. It takes a lot of uh, self-awareness to change the way you lead, to trust mm -hmm. your people much more than you used to trust them because you're not going to be able to see them every day. So you need to hire the right people and let them do their job. For me, it's about how can we integrate both? So it's not dismissing, hey, no, culture doesn't suffer. Well, culture will suffer if you are not intentional about building a connection remotely. So you need to start thinking about what are the team rituals that we're going to practice to make sure that we can connect, that we can stay together, that we touch base to make sure that the little issues don't turn into a big issue over time. No? Mm -hmm. So we talked about the hybrid team, which I, like I said in the beginning, I think this is a very important topic for leaders to be really intentional about. And you briefly talked about the biases that we have with presenteeism. And I think that is part of the awareness to when leaders move into that or have now transitioned into a hybrid model or are working in a remote setup already, then there are the things such as how do we establish culture and what are the things to even understand the culture of the team and how can we codify this? And then um, how do we set rituals for connectivity and or connection? How do we uh, address the pain points, but focus on the gains and have that mutual exchange, mm -hmm. talk about it. But then also that awareness aspect, which I think is really important of, on one hand, this is going to be a whole series of experiments. I recently mm -hmm. talked to someone who said it's even a seasonality, right? In the summer, I might have different preferences than in the winter. It's like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah. not that one approach will work for everyone all year around. These things will change. But then also, I think this is something that I thought about for hybrid teams is a, is a big risk where people will get promoted more when they have that face-to-face -face interaction with their leader in an office and the people who do not commute to the office or are not there the same days that their manager is there will have over time a negative impact in terms of promotability or uh, visibility in the organization, which are usually the minority groups are impacted the most, including uh, often working moms. 
what would you say to that in terms of addressing that awareness or the, the biases for leaders and making sure that what they're building is a very, is a connective, but also a very inclusive and fair team environment? Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is the difference between culture and cult. No? And there are mm -hmm. a couple of words that you remove. And sometimes leaders, rather than build culture, they build a cult. Basically, they want to build a culture around themselves. So when that happens, then they foster presentism because they want to be the center of everything. They assume that if they're not there, people or the work is going to suffer. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge thing to understand that you need to trust people and value and appreciate and evaluate them based on what they deliver, not on how visible they become. So some people, and we see research that shows that on average, people are spending over one hour per day writing emails, showing up to meetings to please that presentism expectations, not just from managers, but also from colleagues, because mm -hmm. they feel that if I'm not visible, people will assume Gustavo is not working, which is not the case. So every time you're assuming or evaluating people, are you assessing them based on their relationship to you, with you, or are you assessing them on their relation with their work? And that's very mm -hmm. important. So you're not yes. going to favor the what's called the proximity bias, no? rewarding and promoting people that are closer. The other thing has to do with trust. You mentioned a lot of people from your audience that are mid-level managers, maybe some people that have managing their first team ever, or they just been promoted. A key thing for leaders is to set what kind of approach do we have to trust? That's foundational for culture. So in some companies, trust has to be earned. So basically the leader says, it doesn't say, but basically send the message, I don't trust you. You need to show me that you're trustworthy. Good leaders trust people from the get-go. They don't mm -hmm. have to tell people that. They assume that people are trustworthy. They assume that people have good intentions, and that helps remove those types of biases. There's an Australian company uh, called Atlassian that is a software company that, for example, they give new employees a bonus, a check, for people to take a small vacation, short vacation, even before they join the company. You know that transitioning job, it's always hard, mm -hmm. stressful. So they want people to start a new uh, job, refresh. Mm -hmm. In many companies, especially in the US, you have to show that you're trustworthy to earn benefits, especially healthcare or mm -hmm. staff or vacation. Mm -hmm. These companies sending the message, I trust you even before you join my team. Because mm -hmm. I really, if you do your due diligence during the hiring process, then you need to send that message. And that's mm -hmm. powerful. Imagine the message, how people join at Glassian like feeling, hey, guy, these guys trust me, not from day one, but from even before day one. It's those subtle underlying messages. Even when we talk about, hey, I haven't responded or haven't heard from you in a couple of hours, it may be good intended of like, hey, I want to check in. Are you doing well? But it's also sending this underlying message. I wonder what you're doing. I'm not sure if you're slacking or not, or that's at least how it could be interpreted on the other side. Uh, and so being really careful. And then it's showing, hey, actually, I need you to be present. I need you to respond to emails. And that is just a productivity killer, right? That we know because people yeah. then don't do focus work. They don't actually deliver what they could because they're constantly worried about showing up as being present or they're active and engaged on all the different channels. Um, wow, we covered a range of topics. Thank you so much for sharing your insights in terms of designing cultures, building cultures with very clear and tactical suggestions, what team leaders could be doing right away or can do right away 
to uncover what's going on on the culture front, as well as how to lead a hybrid team and the process of experimenting on an ongoing basis. We will link to your book and your website in the show notes. So go check that out and your LinkedIn profile as well. Other than that, is there another place or another uh, thing that you would suggest that the audience would check out? Well, they can check our website, fearlessculture.design, not .com, but .design. Yep. Not only we have a lot of interesting services, but most of all, you're going to find hundreds, like over 600 articles that are free for you to read on different topics of culture, leadership, team building. And there's also many tools that you can download that are free that you can apply to your team if you want to focus on improving feedback or working on your values or psychological safety, whatever problem you want to fix, we have tools for that as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. So definitely go check that out. This is the work we need to do. This is the time to do it. Thank you for being on the show, Gustavo. It was great talking to you. Thank you. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, then check out two other awesome resources to help you become a leader people love to work with. This includes my best-selling book, The Confident and Competent New Manager, which you can find on Amazon or at RamonaShaw.com book and a free training on how to successfully lead as a new manager. You can check it out at RamonaShaw.com masterclass. These resources and a couple more you'll find in the show notes down below.